Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, today's New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. Let us open with prayer. Heavenly Father, open our ears to hear your words and our hearts to feel your message this morning. You, above all, are the true blessing in our lives. Amen. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one in body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, were where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there <clears throat> may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Thank you, Janice. Well, let us suppose that this picture is a picture of a a married couple, and let us suppose that their names are James and Mary. Let us suppose that they were married in 1953, and they got married, and things were great for a while, and, and you know, they, they went on dates still, and they had all this great fun together. Then after a little while, James got a job as a traveling salesman. He was going around all the time. He got some new hobbies you know, took up some new sports, he got some new friends, started spending all of his time at the job, at the hobbies, with his new friends, less and less time with Mary. Eventually, what happened is he would be gone for weeks, even months at a time, no explanation, just, poof, gone. And Mary finally asked him, she said, what is going on? Where have you been all this time? Well, James 
told her. He said, listen, Mary, I just, I don't even know why you're asking this question. We signed the paper. We had the ceremony. I said, till death do us part. We're married. This is just how I do marriage. I'm going to do it my own way. We're married now, and me being gone doesn't change that. (laughs) How would you respond? (laughs) Mary said, James, I don't think you quite understand marriage. The marriage license doesn't disappear when you're gone, but since we're married, don't you think we should want to be together? Well, I said, let us suppose, because I don't know who those people are. I don't know what their names are. This is what happens when you Google search 1950s couple. But this little parable, this little parable is is a a fiction that unfortunately for some is is too close to reality in marriage. But this is a, a fiction that is to show that this misunderstanding that he had in marriage led to unhealthy habits in his relationship. Today, as we continue in this series looking at our liturgy, and by liturgy what we mean is how we worship. That's, that's what we mean when we talk about liturgy, is, is how we worship. Today we're going to look at a particular piece that's going to lead into a lot of the other stuff that we're looking at. If you have your bulletin and you look and you see the adoration and confession and assurance, we're going to be talking about all those things, but today we're starting with this, that part of the way we worship is together. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 19 through 25, if you turn there in your pew Bibles, it should be page 1283. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. So here is the author of Hebrews. And this is one of those that that we don't actually know who wrote this letter and and we're not entirely sure which specific church uh, they started by writing it to. But the author of Hebrews is writing to some first century Christians, these these readers of this letter, which was then circulated to the churches who had the same problem as James had with Mary. They they married into the the family of God, so to speak. But then over time, what happened is they, they started developing some habits that were not healthy for them. They got into a bad habit of not joining together in worship. And so they, they hit pause, so to speak, on that marriage. They stopped in verse 18. If you look at verse 18 and you look at what comes before, it's a beautiful, 
beautiful passage. And, and the writer is going through and he's talking about uh, the need for sacrifice and how, how we need sacrifice to get close to God and how Jesus' sacrifice is so effective, so powerful that although the priests come and they make a sacrifice every day, Jesus makes one sacrifice of himself and then he sits down at the right hand of the Father because he never has to do it again. And it ends that portion with this verse in 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Beautiful, beautiful passage. But some of these believers were stopping there and saying, Jesus saved me. The end. The problem is this next word that comes. The author of Hebrews uses a particular word after verse 18. What is that first word in verse 19? Let's all say it together. That word is therefore. Therefore. And you've heard it before and you will hear it again. When you see a therefore, you have to ask what's it there for. And what it is there for is a conjunction indicating that something follows from another necessarily. The the author is drawing a line of logic from what we just read into what you're about to read to say, all of this happened, and so here's what comes next. And what we learn from that, what we learn from that is that Jesus' sacrifice was not the end goal. Jesus' sacrifice is the thing that accomplished the goal. Relationship with God among the people of God, especially gathered in worship. Let me say that again. It accomplished the goal of relationship with God among the people of God, especially gathered in worship. You see, what they continue to go on in this writing is talking about how now Jesus' sacrifice formed this people called the church or the body of Christ that we just read about. It's the thing that made it all possible. And so, in verse 19, it says, therefore. Therefore what? Therefore, here's this stuff about the church. Therefore, the church. Well, why? Why do we need the church? Well, I will just tell you, it's not just the measured benefits, although there are a lot of those. You can go look. There's been tons of research done. Um, Longer life, reduced stress, a place to belong, support through hard times, celebration in the good times, all kinds of measured benefits. That's not what the author of Hebrews goes into. The author of Hebrews begins to go into four things that happen in a special way at church. And now, some of you might be thinking, well, how do you know he's really talking about the church? I will tell you. Therefore, brothers, or this word could be translated brothers and sisters, since we have confidence by the New Living Way, and us, and we, and us, and we, and it's going over and over. Twelve times makes mention to the people of God gathered together. So we know that they're talking about church, and there are four things at least that happen in a special way at church. The first one, you see it in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. What they are talking about here is access to God. Access to God. They are talking about access to God. Every culture 
ever has always asked this question, what is my relationship to God? And then, then people in various religions begin to define themselves in relationship to God. Even atheists, by the way, define themselves in relationship to God by saying there isn't one. They're still doing it. Every culture is asking this question, what is my relationship to God? And this is answering that question, saying that a Christian's relationship to God is that through Christ now we have access. Can you imagine, maybe some of you have done this, going to a concert, it's your favorite band, maybe it's Three Dog Night, they're here in a month, and, and you go and, and you get there and it's this amazing concert, and then they go backstage, and then you walk over there to the door to backstage, and you walk right in. And there they are. And they're a little older than you remembered, but they're still awesome. And they're great. And they have some young guys to come in and, you know, kind of shore up the music a little bit. But there you are. You have access because of this little thing hanging around your neck that says backstage pass. Jesus, so oversimplification, Jesus is like that backstage pass. He is giving us access to God. And only in Christianity, only in Christianity, no other religion will you find this, only in Christianity does God himself provide that way. It's the only place you will ever find that. Look at what he says. He says, enter the holy places which none of us here would have been allowed to go in the temple, by the way. Access to the holy places by what? By the new way made through Christ, through his blood, through his flesh, through what he accomplished on the cross. Jesus has given us access to God, a backstage pass that is open to all who come in his name. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your ability. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or you're a child or you're older. It does not matter. If you come to the Father in the name of Jesus, you have that access with confidence to just stroll right in. I love what uh, the pastor Alistair Begg says, talking about the thief on the cross and how he shows up in heaven and everyone's like, how in the world did you get here? And he says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Access to God with confidence. And as we come and we worship together, what happens is you begin to grow in that confidence. Then we see verse 22. It says, let us draw near. And then goes on to describe a particular way, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Do you know what that, that language is? It's the language of forgiveness. It's the language of cleansing. It's the language of acceptance. Did you know you need that? Did you know you have a core <clears throat> need for that kind of thing? Did you know that you actually need and anyone that's worked in the realm of addiction can tell you this because this is one of the things that spins people off into that. Did you know you have a need to have someone who knows everything about you and still says, hey, come close. Come close. With the church, you come in with all your mess and you are here with the rest of us here with all of our mess and you hear the words, Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Sometimes you hear it from a song. 
Sometimes you're going to hear it from, from a word that's read. Sometimes you're going to hear it from a prayer. Sometimes it's going to be the person that's sitting next to you that says, hey, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to hear those words. And in those, what is happening is God is using the church to remind you that you can draw near to God, that he actually wants you to draw near to him, that he loves you. And not just walk backstage, kind of a draw near, not just, hey, we're in the same room and this is kind of cool, draw near, but actually come and crawl up into the lap of the father and look him in the eyes and say, Papa. That's the kind of drawing near that this is talking about. And when we worship together, God is re-impressing that on our hearts, that this is the kind of access and this is the kind of drawing near that the blood of Jesus allows us to do. But now that's a hard thing to believe sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it's Saturday night, it's Sunday morning, and you're thinking about the weekend and you're like, oh no, Mm mm-mm. There's no way, there is no way that that's true. There is no way that that's real. There is no way that God could be that good, that he could take me and tell me to come near. And so what we need is what it talks about in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Do you know, do you know what the confession of our hope is? It's, it's this, it's the teaching of this book. It's the word of God, it's the gospel, it's the good news. It's everything that I just said in those last two things. That is the confession of hope, and the confession of hope is that he who promised is faithful. So when my faith is weak, when I'm feeling depressed, anxious, apathetic, guilty, what I need is I need the teaching of the word of God to remind me that his grip on me doesn't change. And we were in the pool the other day with the kids, you know, and it's, they'll grab onto me and I always wonder why I get sunburn on my shoulders and it's because they're wiping everything off by, by grabbing on and they're holding on. But here's the secret. They think that it matters how much and how strong and how long they can hold on to me. But the secret is if they're with me, they're not going under because of my grip on them. That is the teaching that we need week after week, day after day, is that teaching that he who promised is faithful. And when we worship together and we look around and you see faces and you know what they've gone through, you know what they're going through now, and you see how God remains faithful, it begins to strengthen your faith. It begins to strengthen your grip so that now it's not just Jesus holding on to you. You are actually reaching to hold on to him too. That happens when we come here and we worship together. And then here is this in verse 24 through 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This phrase, stir up each other to good works, it's like stirring up a campfire. All right, you've got those those embers and it's there, but you need someone to come along and to just get that, Get that in there and start to stir it up and to, and to blow on it a little bit and to get that fire roaring again. And what happens is when we come together, that begins to happen because we, we worship and we read this book and then we say, Jesus, you're calling us to do something. 
And so we go and do something. And this church, just in the, the four years that I've been here watching and, and in all the history before that, many things have happened. Um, we, we, together, we've helped women and minorities start businesses. We have helped kids have a safe place for school and after school. We've helped keep people in their homes. We've helped uh, places like Opportunity School and the Children's Home and so much more. And that is one church in just a few years. One church in just a few years. Go look at the church global. Go look at the church worldwide, and you will see, and start to look into the history, and you will see that the church is responsible for the creation and the the mainstream of things like hospitals, education, schools, colleges, um, uh, places like orphanages, hospice. It's the church that has been the main driver in ending things like slavery and human trafficking. God has been using his church because when his people gather, he's been stirring them up to good works and saying, are you really satisfied with what's happening out there? No. Let's do something. And that is what God has been about through all of these years. And when we come together, what we do is we begin to stir each other up into those things and we begin to encourage each other that God is at work through his church and that the church gathered together can accomplish far more than any one of us going off alone. This was part of Jesus' plan all along. It was part of Jesus' plan all along. You see, Jesus always had access to the Father. He always had a perfect relationship. He didn't need forgiveness like we do. He always held fast to the truth. He is the truth. He always lived his life in perfect faithfulness. And then what he did is he gave his life so that you and I could receive that benefit. That's why any of what we're talking about today is possible. Because of that, that new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, through his flesh, that new and living way, what that does is that says, now we have access to God. Now we can draw near, we can grow in faith, and we can be his hands and feet on earth. And by yourself, reading this passage would be so overwhelming, so overwhelming, because you can't do it. You can't do it by yourself. But God knows that. And he is so gracious and he is so kind that he gave himself, he gave his spirit, and he has given us each other. So, all of this, all of this is to say, if you're out of the habit, if you're out of the habit of going to church, of participating in in that gathering, it's okay. It's okay. Okay. Don't hear any judgment coming from this. Don't hear any condemnation coming from this. It's okay. You know what? Also, you are not alone. Did you know that? 2016, Lifeway did a survey, and they found that 65% of Christians that they talked to said, I believe that I can do the Christian life. I can live my Christian life all by myself, and I don't need any other Christians. And that number has, I'm sure, gone up since 2016. Look, it's okay. It's easy to lose good habits. It is hard to make new habits. And we're talking about habits, by the way. I don't have a checklist with your names on it, and I'm not going through every week and saying, mm, 51 weeks, mm, three weeks. Mm, I'm, I'm not doing that. We're talking about this habit, building holy habits. 
And it is hard to make new habits. It is hard to get back into old ones. There is no judgment here. There is no condemnation. And, and, and we, we don't want to do that towards each other either because you never know what someone's going through. But what you do have is you have joy when you show up. You have delight from the people that are around you who are so glad to see you and who so love having you here. So if you are, are, are trying to get back into that habit, look, we are so glad you're here and we want to help however we can. If you are struggling to find that church, you're struggling to find that place and maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're kind of looking around, I want to encourage you, pick one. Pick one, commit for a while, because sometimes it takes time to see where you need to be. I will tell you, my wife and I, our worst fights were in seminary on our way to try a new church. We would get in that car, and somewhere between the 30 minutes when that door closed and we arrived at that next church, there was fire going back and forth. And about half the time, we'd stop and just be like, that's it, I'm not going and we turn around and we drive home. And then we finally said, you know what? Maybe this is a plan of the enemy. Maybe this is our own sinfulness. But let's just go. No matter how bad the fight is, let's just go. And we started to do that. And things shifted. So pick one, commit for a while. And if you need suggestions finding one, I know of a good one. <laughs> but there are lots and lots of great churches in this city. We, we really are privileged with that. And then the, the, the last two questions. One is, what if I can't come to church? What if I'm not physically able? What if I'm not logistically able? What if I just can't do it? Don't feel guilty. That's okay. That's when the church comes to you. And we are not perfect at that, but we are trying and we are improving and we are doing everything we can to be a church that goes to those who cannot come to us. And the last question is this. Out of those 65%, half of them said, they said, why don't you go to church? And they said, I don't like it. I get it. I understand. But this is why we read from 1 Corinthians, because Jesus calls the church his body. He identifies his physical presence on the earth with his people who are gathered in his name. And if you are an imperfect person like me, that seems daunting, but... But what this means, what this means is that if we love him, if we love Jesus, we need to learn to love his people. It's hard because we are different. We come from different places. We have different things that we're passionate about. It's hard. But if we love him, we need to learn how to love his church. And if you are not sure how to do that, ask for his help. Ask for the help of the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, because Jesus loves bringing people closer to himself through the family of God. And that is why when we worship, part of the way we worship is we worship together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this family that you have brought us into. Lord, none of us are here by mistake God, you are so good, and you are so gracious and so kind. Lord, what a privilege it is to gather in public, to worship you openly, when so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ can't. Father, would you put joy in our hearts at the thought of being together? Lord, that we would know that we come to you 
not out of a sense of guilt or shame or condemnation or any of those things, but we come to you because you delight in us and you love us and you call us to come sit in your lap and call you Papa. So, Father, we thank you and we love you. Together we worship in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue in worship? Thank you.